time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. And lots of stuff going on on this Thursday. And uh, we're just kind of leaning into the wind a little bit here and trying not to get uh, blown away by it. That's uh, all the segues I can think of right now. Bob Rogan's in here. Susan Littlefield is live via remote. And uh, Jason will be coming to us in a little bit. All kinds of stuff going on. Susan, uh, how you doing? I'm good. Triumph of Ag continues today, but this wind that you were talking about, you know, a year ago we were worried about flooding and floating away, and now we're worried about burning up. It's crazy. We... We've got to pay for it in some way. We're going to have a beautiful weekend, and we're going to pay the piper somewhere along the way, right? Yep, exactly. Um, it's all part of uh, living in rural America. There you go. There you go. What do you got for us, Susan? Well, I caught up with USDA's administrator for the uh, Risk Management Agency, uh, Mr. Barber, and I will talk about crop insurance. If you got a bill in the mail and you didn't pay it yet... You better open the envelope because we'd hate for you not to be able to get cop insurance in 2020. He explains what that is all about. And then as we continue on into the midday, we're going to talk a little weather, speaking of, with Bryce Anderson. Uh, he's with DTN. He's a meteorologist. He and I sat down at Commodity Classic as we outlook the spring and what we can expect from Mother Nature. And then Bryce will wrap it all up. He's in the Pacific Northwest on the See for Yourself tour with the Nebraska Soybean Board. So he'll talk more about exports around the world. That's for us for the midday. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you more. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Well, uh, sports going on. The state basketball tournament, girls t- tournament taking place right uh, right now in Lincoln and uh, several different areas. Uh, got a couple scores here. Wahoo is beating St. Paul right now. Sydney over Northwest. Uh, you heard on our sister station, Cami Country, uh, Fall City Sacred Heart beat Loomis 53-27. to Lincoln Christian over Malcolm 55-34. to uh, Cedar Catholic over Weeping Water 54-49. to uh, uh, Crete was a winner today 48-43 over uh, Norris. We'll check in here now with Jason Jorgensen. He's got more for us. Well, of course, the girls' state basketball tournament is getting rolling. Games started this morning at 9. Those will run throughout the day. We'll have the latest for you coming up in sports on where things stand. The Husker men and women, they're back in action. Husker women will play in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. They square off today against Michigan at 5.30. Now, Nebraska actually beat the Wolverines back in mid-January, 74-71. That game begins at 5.30. We will bring it to you on Kimmy Country. And the Husker men coming up that tough loss on Sunday at home to Northwestern. They're at Michigan. The Wolverines have played better of late. In fact, uh, they're ranked in the top 25 again. That one starts at 5.30. We will bring it to you right here on 880KRVN. So all of that and much more is coming up in sports. All right. Thank you, Jason. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. Bob, I thought you had this fixed yesterday. Stock's back down again. I can't fix anything. In fact, uh, don't ask me to. Uh, Stock's plunging again today. And... uh, What's going on, of course, is the virus. Concerns about how much it's going to impact the uh, world's economy. Also, an $8.3 billion measure to help tackle the coronavirus outbreak should soon be making its way to President Trump after a Senate vote. So those are the things going on today. All right, that's all coming up on Mid... Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins... 
in studio with me, and uh, I want you to explain why we are so windy. <laughs> stuck in between... Stuck in the middle, basically, yeah, here. Okay. Is, that a, is that a pretty typical thing for this time of year? Exactly, yeah. Well, um, changing time of the year, March, uh, known for its wind. And yes. once again, we're going to get a lot of it. Uh, today, it's because of some strong low pressure over Minnesota, which is bringing a little bit of cloud cover to the very mm-hmm. northeast corner of Nebraska. But otherwise, high pressure over the Rockies, and we're right in between those two systems, low pressure in Minnesota and high pressure over the Rockies, giving us those gusty winds and strong out of the northwest for today. They are definitely strong. (laughs) Don't go burn anything today. Exactly, yeah, because many uh, locations do have burning bans in place right now. Right now, the temperatures in the upper 40s to low 50s, so not too bad on the temperatures. It is a little bit cooler in the Nebraska Panhandle, where temperatures are more so in the low and mid 40s. But we are seeing many locations reporting wind gusts up to about 40 miles per hour. Sunshine and windy for today, slightly above average on the temperatures. As we sit once again between high pressure over the Rockies and low pressure in Minnesota, extreme fire danger is expected today from some northwest winds gusting between 30 and 45 and usually with that northwesterly air you get some very low humidity and that will be the case today humidity down to 15 to 20 percent so extremely dangerous with the fire weather conditions and that was why we do have of course a red flag warning that goes into effect at noon today and runs until seven o'clock tonight and many locations have already issued burning bans because of that fire danger winds quickly dying down tonight after sunset and rising humidity will end that dangerous fire weather threat. High pressure ridge moving overhead for tomorrow through the weekend will result in our nicest temperatures that we've seen since last fall. Daytime highs expected to max out in the upper 60s to low 70s over the weekend. With a cold front on Sunday evening, there could be enough instability in place for a few thunderstorms before more general rain sets in towards Monday morning. A few snowflakes could mix in with that rain late Sunday night into Monday morning, but nothing probably like we saw this last week on Sunday night into Monday morning. Overall, it looks to be a mainly rain event with amounts ranging from a trace to around 30 hundredths. Light rain or sprinkle chances will linger through Tuesday night. Temperatures will cool to slightly above average for early next week. In our long-term forecast, though, the string of above-normal temperatures is forecast to continue for Tuesday through March 18th for not only Nebraska and Kansas, but much of the U.S. At least slightly above-normal precipitation looks to continue Tuesday through the 18th for Nebraska and Kansas. In the regional drought monitor, Nebraska once again 96% drought-free. It remains abnormally dry along and southwest of a line from Sydney to Imperial and McCook. Kansas remains 86% drought-free in the northwest corner, abnormally dry, much of southwest Kansas, in moderate to severe drought. Key weather factors affecting the markets include dry conditions in central and southern Brazil, limited rain in Argentina, and slow drying weather for the Midwest. Midwest temperatures averaging above normal in the next 10 days will help with the snow melt and drainage in many areas. Drying low will be slow in the Midwest with more widespread moderate precipitation expected early next week with another strong storm. The southern plains mostly dry through Saturday. Winter wheat that broke dormancy could use more precipitation in western parts. That could come with the system early next week producing moderate widespread precipitation. The drier areas of the southern plains, though, look like they will be missed. Dry weather in the Delta over the weekend could allow some field work to be done. Southern Brazil expects a very little rain for their filling soybeans right now. That could cause some damage in Rio Grande do Sul, but Piranha may be okay on that. Just north of Brazil's major growing areas, drier weather this weekend will allow the soybean harvest to wrap up. 
Northeast Brazil will get some showers this week, but it's going to be too late for the damaged soybean crop. It will, though, benefit the second crop corn. Argentina's mostly dry weather with above normal temperatures will stress the filling corn and soybeans the rest of this week. Showers are possible late in the weekend to early next week. There's a chance the rain could be moderate to locally heavy, but will probably be very hit or miss on the coverage. It looks like the, some more showers in the south of the United States in the southeast again. And, uh, boy, they have just gotten so much water down there. Exactly. Yeah, that main storm track continues to be well to our south and then up the eastern coast. And, yeah, the Delta has been very wet. So the Midwest and Delta very concerned about getting in the field anytime soon for getting some field work going. I suppose. I suppose. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather, sir? Weather tab, krvn.com. There's one bill that comes in the mail you can't ignore. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I had the opportunity to catch up with Martin Barbary's administrator of USDA's Risk Management Agency as we talked about the importance of opening that crop insurance premium letter. Okay, what's going to happen, Susan, is is these most producers in the country that, that had to pre- prevent plant indemnity got to prevent plant top-up payment through the disaster bill. Along with that came a two-year commitment to buy crop insurance. Now, these producers are always participating in the crop insurance program. They're, they're buying crop insurance. Uh, producers got to have that premium from last year paid by then, or, or they, or they, they go on what we call an ineligible tracking system, meaning they're not eligible for crop insurance for 2020, which is a double whammy. And number one, they're not ineligible for crop insurance for 2020. And they, if they can't meet that commitment, they got to pay the top-up back. <clears throat> we want to make sure producers are very aware of that, so we're not... You know, we want we don't want anybody to, to slip up with that. So you know, you've got premium bill comes in the mail. You want to make sure you make sure you pay attention to it. Make sure when it's due. There's a lot of different due dates on those depending on. I mean, obviously we deferred interest until January 31st last year, but those premiums need to be paid by your sales closing date. You don't want to be on that list because that's going to make 2020. God forbid we have a bad year. You'd be in trouble. Yeah, you'd be in trouble. It's, it's going to be a – that's why I'm, I'm very adamant about making sure I get the word out that producers need to make sure they get that premium paid. I want to flip this to the consumer side for a second. They know what car insurance is. They know what homeowners and renters insurance is. Let's talk to them about what crop insurance is and why it's so important to the ag industry. You know, crop insurance protects a producer in tough times, Susan. And, and crop- Let's – I want – come back and talk a little bit about the structure of how crop insurance works and sure. how, how the funding it takes place and who pays what and how it all comes together. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I talked earlier, it's, it's, it's taxpayer funded. Uh, they, they provide a subsidy to the producer, but the producer has a skin in this game as well. All policies have a premium that's due on those, so producers pay anywhere from 40, 50, 60 percent of the total premium. Uh, the, the, producer, the taxpayer provides a subsidy for the, for the producer to be able to afford the insurance. But again, it goes right back to the fact that they got to get that premium bill paid when it comes in the mail. And they got to get that premium bill paid. And, and folks, the premium bill they're paying is their part of the bill. Nobody's ever brought it up that way about protecting those rural communities in the process. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's one of our stronger rural development programs. I, I kind of take pride in that. But, you know, it's, I mean, if, just because a farmer can't pay his bills, that, that, it has a ripple effect. And it ripples to those folks I talk about. And that's, that's what we, we feel like that it's important. And, and not only that, but it, it's keeping producers on the farm. It, it's not providing them a, a quote, profit. It's, it's helping them pay their bills so they can farm again next year. I want to rewind a little bit to 2019 and how important crop insurance played a role for these producers in the upper Midwest. 
who just got hit with one disaster after another. Yeah, 2019 was a year that just keeps giving. It's still giving. You know, we've got crops in the field still in the northern plains areas, mainly North Dakota and maybe western Minnesota specifically. But, you know, it's just we were able to, to keep those producers going. We've worked with all of them, making sure we had... You know, adjusters out there getting these claims adjusted as they go. Some of them are still waiting on adjustment because with the crop's still in the field. So a lot of that going on, we're doing the best we can, and, and RMA has really done a great job along with our approved insurance providers, the 15 companies that we contract with to deliver our program. Just done a great job, I think, of, get, of taking care of our producers. A lot of people out there in the field literally helping out those producers. That's exactly right. You know, we, we, I'm part of FPAC with, with, RM, with FSA and NRCS, and, and we all touch the same producer out in the, at the end of the day, but we all go a different way about it. Ours is through the, the insurance companies. Comments with Martin Barber of the Risk Management Agency, where he's administrator through the USDA. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Pro Radio Network. All right, time for us to take a look at sports before we get to Jason. Let's get you caught up on some of the scores that and the uh, girls' state championships in Lincoln as they've started today. A few games already finished. Crete beat Norris 48-43. It was Lincoln Christian over Malcolm 55-35. Cedar Catholic beat Weeping Water 54-49. A game you heard on our sister station, Cami Country. It was Sacred Heart knocking out Loomis. 53-27. St. Paul also winners. They knocked off Wahoo 41-38. Games going on right now. Tie ball game in the fourth quarter between Sydney and Northwest. They're at 40. Archbishop Bergen beating Maywood Hay Center 44-29. And it is why not in the fourth quarter beating Lawrence Nelson. Uh, that's again, as I said, that one in the fourth quarter. Let's check in with Jason now. Hey, thanks, Scott. The Nebraska women's basketball team opens up its stay at the Big Ten tournament today by facing off against Michigan. Now, the Huskers enter the tournament as a 10th seed. They've had a habit of getting off to slow starts this year, and head coach Amy Williams would like to see that change today. The Huskers actually beat the Wolverines back in mid-January, 74-71 in Lincoln. Tip-off tonight is set for 5.30. You can hear that game on Cami Country. The Husker men, they play at Michigan at 5.30. We will bring you that game here on 880 KRVN. UNK couldn't hold on to a 14-point lead with 11 minutes to play as Pittsburgh State edges the Lopers 79-76 in overtime with the first run of the MIAA tournament in Kansas City. Morgan Susie wrapped up his fabulous senior season with 26 points. Jake Walker had 13 as the Lopers wrap up the year at 16-13. Now the UNK women play in the quarterfinals of the tournament tomorrow afternoon at 2.15. We will bring you that game on 93.1 The River. Creighton men were able to get back on track last night at home with a big win over Georgetown, winning at 91-76. The Jays in that game had a season-high 17 three-pointers as they improved to 23-7. and Chad Reformer of Hastings College had been selected as this year's GPAC Women's Basketball Player of the Year. The senior from Hastings averaged 13 points, 4 assists, and 4 rebounds per game, helping the Broncos go 28-2 overall. And Hastings College head coach Gina Douglas was named the conference's Coach of the Year. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right, thanks a lot, Jason. That's sports. You're listening to Midday with Scott Foster here on KRVN. Hazard. 
Military Matters. The U.S. airstrike against the Taliban days after the peace deal could be a sign the agreement is already at risk. Defense Secretary Mark Esper warned violence would likely continue in Afghanistan. This is going to be a long, windy, bumpy road. There will be ups and downs and we'll stop and start. That's going to be the nature of this over the next uh, days, weeks and months. President Trump says he spoke to the head of the Taliban, the first known talk between leaders in the nearly two decade old conflict. We had a good conversation. Uh, we've agreed there's no violence. We don't want violence. We'll see what happens. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the Taliban committed to breaking with al-Qaeda. But Republican lawmaker Liz Cheney says otherwise. Those documents do not include in them the things that Secretary Pompeo said they would. Nearly 2,400 U.S. troops have been killed in Afghanistan since 9-11. The peace deal calls for the number of U.S. troops to be reduced from 12,000 down to 8,600 in the coming days. For Military Matters at the Pentagon, Lucas Tomlinson, Fox News. This is a 3D consumer alert from the Nebraska Attorney General's office. Every year we tabulate the data on the top reported frauds from the previous year. In 2018, the top reports were imposter scams, debt collection, and identity theft. Imposter scams involve someone assuming a role and telling you a story designed to motivate you into making some form of immediate payment. At 18%, imposter scams accounted for nearly one out of every five frauds reported last year. Younger people, especially in their 20s, reported losing money to fraud more often than older people. However, when older people did lose money, the amount tended to be much higher. Scammers continue to prefer payment by wire transfer, but we witnessed a surge of payments with gift and reload cards. Remember, requests for immediate payment by an unsolicited phone call or email is a red flag warning of a scam. For more, visit protectthegoodlife.nebraska.gov. With Jennifer Brem from the Nebraska Attorney General's Office, I'm Ryan Sothan. It is time for us to take a look at news right here live and in color in studio. Here's Dave Schroeder. Well, good afternoon. Dr. Jeffrey Gold, the Chancellor of the University of Nebraska Medical Center, spoke uh, earlier this week at the John C. Marino Symposium in University of Nebraska Kearney uh, about the changes in rural health care. But uh, one of the key things he pointed out for, for the future of rural health care is the concept of disintermediation. Dr. Gold explains what that term means. Disintermediation is a very classical business term that looks at supply chain management. And it's the connection between the consumer and the producer. And so typically in that supply chain, uh, let's say we're talking about clothing or we're talking about food, there's a producer, there's a wholesaler, a distributor, a retailer, the shipment involved in all of these stages. Then there's the consumer. And so if one disintermediates the supply chain, you take a portion of that supply chain out. One example that Dr. Gold cited is a contact lens currently being developed that also monitors glucose levels and it interacts with an arm-worn insulin device to regulate blue, uh, blood glucose levels. So it keeps it in a defined level. Then if too much of a variance occurs, it can notify the patient, uh, loved ones, caregivers, or the patient's doctors that the patient can greatly reduce the number and need for doctor's visits. Meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control has made it clear that in the U.S. it's not a question of if coronavirus will spread widely, but when. Governor Pete Ricketts says Nebraska has some resources for dealing with the disease, and one is the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Have the world recognized experts in infectious diseases and the world recognized facilities. In fact, we've got the only federally funded quarantine unit. 
And we've been taking care of Americans who've been exposed to this and, in fact, uh, released four of them this week. One of the things uh, that we're doing with UNMC is they are having higher testing standards than the CDC is recommending. So you have to have three negative tests uh, spaced 24 hours apart before uh, being released. And so that's just one of the precautions that we're taking here to make sure we're keeping people safe. The Kansas Health Department's top administrator says health officials there are monitoring up to a dozen people a day for the possibility that they have the new coronavirus. Kansas Secretary Lee Norman said that the Department of Health and Environment now can do its own testing. He held a news conference with Kansas Governor Laura Kelly after the department launched an online resource center to disseminate information about coronavirus. A legislative committee also approved an increase in Kansas state aid to local health departments. Kansas has had no confirmed cases of the virus that causes COVID-19, but Norman said a positive test is inevitable. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Thanks a lot, Dave. Have we had any in Nebraska yet? Is there anything, any confirmed ones? I know they thought of that one maybe was in Scott's Bluff. Yes, I haven't seen any uh, or know of any, but you see on those national maps, on the national newscasts, that Nebraska is one of those states that's painted as uh, having a test. And maybe that's because of the patients in the UNMC. Well, they certainly have been here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, certainly worth following. I appreciate that, Dave. Thank you. Average, dry, and normal. Three words being described for spring weather. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During Commodity Classic last week, I had the opportunity to catch up with Bryce Anderson, DTN meteorologist, as we looked at what Mother Nature has in store for us this spring. That's quite a trifecta, Susan. And uh, that is the way things are shaping up, particularly uh, in the western Corn Belt and uh, over much of Nebraska. This uh, uh, winter has been a milder winter. There's no doubt about that. A lot of above uh, average temperatures compared to a year ago when, you know, everybody was just uh, mired in the deep freeze. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's allowed the uh, soil uh, profile to not get nearly as cold as it did a year ago. It's allowed for some of this excess moisture to drain out through the drain tiles and uh, sets things up for a better start to the spring season. And along with that, uh, the the um, storm activity does not look like it's just going to be kind of a, an ongoing uh, repeat like we saw a year ago. Which is good news because nobody wants to relive 2019 anytime soon. Not at all. Uh, if there's any part of the, uh, of the Corn Belt, the major crop areas that still is likely to have that type of a, an issue, it would be that uh, northern quarter of, uh, of U.S. Uh, corn country, Interstate 90 north. Uh, in the Dakotas and uh, Minnesota. But south of there, we know that uh, snow has not been around at all. We've melted a lot of the snow pack. Uh, So that means that ground temperatures are going to have a better uh, situation for warming up in order to do field work. And uh, along with that, uh, the the prospect of flooding has been reduced to where the, uh, the likelihood is pretty high in the immediate river valleys in, say, the Missouri Valley and possibly part of the Platte Valley, but uh, not nearly as widespread as uh, had been feared even, you know, six, eight weeks ago. 
So we talk still some wetness to the north. What happens to our neighbors to the, the southern part of the U.S.? I mean, we're trying to get some planting underway. Is it going to be dry for them? Well, in the, in the delta and the southeast, uh, we've seen the uh, recent round of, of uh, rainfall, precipitation, pretty well focus in that section of the U.S. and then northward into the Ohio Valley. And uh, I think that those areas are still going to be pretty slow when it comes to getting field work done. I don't think that there's going to be enough of a problem that they actually you know, have a lot of prevented planting or anything like that. But I think they are going to have a slower start. So that's, uh, that's a portion of the uh, U.S. that uh, is likely to have a, uh, a more difficult time getting field work done. But again, I, I think it's more of a slower start rather than a complete uh, shutoff uh, or, or a complete barrier to getting anything in the ground this year. March, April, are we going to have a more normal spring storm pattern? I think, I think we are going to see that. Uh, the, the Pacific Ocean uh, is in a neutral phase in terms of its temperatures, so we don't have an El Nino influence in terms of kind of turbocharging the atmosphere over Nebraska like we had last year. And uh, so with that, I think we're going to see more of a kind of a, an, an ebb and flow with, uh, you know, a few weather systems dragging in moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico from time to time and leading to, uh, to moisture development, but not just the, the continual cycle of uh, storms like we saw last year. I mean, that, one's, uh, that uh, situation a year ago started in uh, basically mid-March with the big storm, the bomb cyclone that we had, and uh, it did not really let up almost for the entire balance of the calendar year last year. So we've got some listeners that, and I'm sure you know a few as well, where they keep track on the calendar of those fog days. And they always say, well, 90 days out, we're going to get rain or snow. Well, I think that's a good illustration of, of climatology. And, and uh, you know, before uh, a lot of our ability to, to, uh, to track occurrences of, of uh, rainfall and, and uh, all of these other developments, uh, it was those uh, periodic features in in the uh, in the air in a particular area that uh, you know that helped uh, to you know to uh, give benchmarks on on what to do. Uh, so I think that's uh, like I say that that's just a a very uh, good fundamental uh, uh, perspective on uh, climatology. So we'll see if it holds true. Keeping track, right? Very much so. But again, um, I think that. Uh, that uh, this year is uh, much more promising for for production, but also just for just for basic activities, Susan, uh, than a year ago. Uh, we had so many uh, calamities uh, last year that uh, everybody truly needs a break for uh, 2020. Those comments from a conversation I had with Bryce Anderson, DTN meteorologist, during Commodity Classic last week in San Antonio, Texas. It's amazing what a year makes because last year at this time, flooding and devastation was taking place all across Nebraska. And now we hear of fire districts putting burn bans in place. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is 12.53, time for our business report here on KRVN's Midday. Scott in here with you, Bob Brogan 
to follow. Let's uh, take a look at the news. Not good on stocks in the United States, but let's go to the foreign markets and uh, Asian markets actually in real good shape. Uh, the Japanese Nikkei was up 229 points. The Hong Seng in Hong Kong was up 500 points. Now, for London, the FTSE was down 110, and the German DAX index down 182. Does that mean where the coronavirus started in Asia, are they uh, responding in a different way than the rest of the world? Here in the United States, the 10-year yield down almost 7% right now. As we go to Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 882 points today. The NASDAQ down 239, and the Standard & Poor was down 99. And uh, Bob Brogan, brother, can you spare a dime? I don't know if I can, but uh, I want to make sure that it's been washed good. Yeah, you do. Before before I pass it along to you, and that it doesn't have any virus on it. Appreciate that. Thank you. In fact, as a matter of fact, this is getting off the subject, but I was looking up this morning, how do you clean money uh-huh. because you know are you going to want to take that dollar bill or that dime there is actually a hotel in las vegas that offers that very uh thing they they will they will clean your money that's a little far for me to go but it's you true. know well maybe open a business it's, it's an option it is all right well, thank so, you for that information i'm here to help okay i think i've heard that before okay. um okay stocks plunging again and trading on wall street after the major indexes surged 4% yesterday. The losses today are widespread, and all but eight stocks in the S&P 500 index are down. Treasury yields sank toward more record lows, and gold rose as investors look for safer investments. Meanwhile, long-term mortgage rates have dropped to all-time lows this week. Mortgage buyer Freddie Mac says the average rate on the benchmark 30-year loan plummeted to 3.29% from 3.45% last week. The new rate is the lowest level since Freddie Mac started tracking it in 1971. Goodness, that's been a while. U.S. productivity rebounded in the final three months of last year, but by a smaller amount than initially reported while labor costs increased at a slower pace than first thought. Also, the oil-producing countries of the OPEC cartel are proposing a deep production cut of 1.5 million barrels per day to support prices that are sagging due to the spread of, well, you know what. Oil ministers meeting in Vienna proposed the cut, which needs to be discussed with other non-OPEC allies uh, like Russia. They are trying to support the price of oil, which has fallen 25% since the start of the year amid concerns about the virus outbreak's disruption to the world economy. And federal prosecutors have charged the former president of the United Auto Workers with corruption, alleging he conspired with others at the union to embezzle more than $1 million. Gary Jones quit his post in November. So it just seems like about wherever we go, whatever we do, there it is, staring at us. Well, at least coming after us. All right. The coronavirus. <clears throat> Always good, Bob. Thank you. Day two, a triumph of ag. I'm Susan Littlefield here on the Rural Radio Network. Jim's joining us. We're at Ag and Industrial Equipment here at the show booth. 
2611. And you've got a great display of these Val 6 radiant heaters. Hi, Susan. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's always fun talking about people's new uses for a Val 6 heater. And that's just here, This especially this last fall and winter, There's uh, we've, we've had a lot of people try our EconoDry grain drying combo with a Val 6 heater for drying grain. As conversations were going yesterday, we uh, think there's a consciousness that there may be some corn and beans and grain stored that maybe isn't at ideal storage uh, moisture. Above all else, I guess we're just, uh, we, we talked to enough people that by all means stay on top of your uh, stored grain moisture it's there's just too much too much value there it's worth getting into the bin and, and be careful with that too of course but keep an eye on that stored grain uh, if you we've got a number of guys who have bins that they've always air dried with and of course with the high humidity that's that's all we've had now for the last keeping air moving is vital but humid air doesn't dry grain you, we can help you with that with our Val 6 econo dry grain drying combo and we've also people want to learn more they can go to our website which is agheaters.com once again agheaters.com it's a nice day to come into a farm show if you know you can see what we're doing how how everything's put together and we'd love to answer questions so keep us in mind and jim at booth 2611 i'm susan littlefield on the world radio network the 2020 See for Yourself Tour is underway in Washington this week. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Brian Stuskin reporting. The Nebraska Soybean Board hosts this trip each year to help farmers understand where their soybeans go after dropping them off at the local elevator. One of the stops in the trip is at Temco at the Port of Tacoma. It is a 50-50 joint venture between Cargill and CHS that buys, sells, and handles grain for export. Mark Jensen is the plant manager. Uh, it's a great partnership. We've utilized uh, Cargill's strength in really operational excellence and then uh, CHS's strengths in origination. Uh, it's worked out as a great partnership, and then we were in uh, 2012 expanded into two extra facilities, including one in Kalama, Washington, and one in Portland, Oregon. As uh, Nebraska soybean farmers were touring today, had a pretty unique opportunity, I'll say that as somebody who's gone on three of these trips now, of actually seeing soybeans being loaded on one of these vessels. Tell us uh, the size of the vessels and how many soybeans in terms of bushels they can hold. So the the boat we're loading today, or the vessel we're loading today, is taking 72,000 metric tons, or about 2.6 million bushels of soybeans. Uh, Like I said, from originations from South Dakota, North Dakota, and Nebraska. Um, it takes about six and a half shuttle trains worth of cargo to fill this boat, and we'll have it loaded. Uh, we're, we're running a little slow, so this will be about a seven-day seven, uh, load on this vessel, so about 10,000 tons a day. We are capable of much faster than that, but the supply chain has slowed us down a little bit. And where is this vessel heading, if you can share that with us? Yeah, so so this vessel is one of our last vessels that we're going to be loading in the near future uh, that's headed to China. In terms of volume, uh, in a good year, will you be, uh, how many vessels will you load and ship out of here in a year? So it's a it's a big swing. I was here in 2005, six. we were loading 125, 126 uh, independent vessels out of here every year. The vessels, granted, have gotten a little bigger since then, so we've dropped in numbers, but total volume is reduced. We'll be about 75, 80 vessels this year. And you did mention to the group that that number seemed to be a little bit down, uh, probably due, I'm sure, to the China tariffs. Uh, kind of interesting to follow those trends, and you see the trickle-down effect from what we see in Nebraska all the way to uh, where we're standing today. 
Yeah, so ultimately, we, you know, we are, China has been a big importer of, of U.S. soybeans, and with the tariffs, it's really slowed down. And so we've really, I mean, to stay where we're at levels-wise uh, has been pretty impressive because we've been aggressive at going out to other countries and different destinations to try to sell uh, U.S. commodities. You can do both corn and soybeans, and you also shared you can do some wheat. Haven't done that in about 20 years, but had a partial load on one of the vessels. Does it take a while to be able to clean things out in terms of loading different boats uh, when you're doing multiple different commodities? Yeah, so so we do primarily handle corn and soybeans. Uh, the vessel or the, the delivery system is fairly self-cleaning. Uh, all dry conveyors, we don't see much contamination. And like I explained to you in the, in the tours, it's a fully sealed sampling uh, mechanism that's controlled by WSDA. And anything that would get in there in the delivery system would be picked up by that sampler. Uh, it, it's sampled literally going right into the, the shipping bins, the eight shipping bins that we have. And so there's uh, only one or two conveyor belts after those shipping bins that could have anything in them. And they're just a belt conveyor. So... What was it like for you to be able to meet some of the farmers that are producing the commodities that you're able to ship out here on this port? So so as a plant manager of the facility, it is great to, to interact with the places where our commodities come from and really connect that whole supply chain. Those comments from Temco plant manager Mark Jensen. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Playpad on the Rural Radio Network as we look closer at the grain settlements with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, export sales kind of disappointed today, but we were able to at least keep Chicago wheat a little bit in the green. Did this come from export sales or was this spread action? I think this is the dollar more than anything. You know, the U.S. dollar has been beat up pretty good the last couple of days. It's it's lost in all of this as far as the, uh, you know, the weakening of interest rates and the weakening of export mar- or uh commodities and, and stock markets, but uh, the dollar falling as well is, is something I think can be supportive for, for ags in the longer run. The problem is the dollar is weakening against its competitors like the, the yen and the uh, the run in the euro, but against the ruble, against the peso, the Argentinian peso, and against the uh, the Brazilian real, we're basically at five-year lows, 10-year lows in those, in those areas, so we're just losing competitiveness as this has happened. Um, I don't think enough is being made, talked about as far as the uh, just the lack of competition that we're getting on, on some other country out there. I mean, where do you turn if you're uh, real wealthy and you want to put your money in your in fearful in times like this? Everybody seems to run one of the U.S. dollar, which is a good thing for us as consumers, but it's a bad thing for anybody who's producing raw materials. And uh, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think in the longer run, this is a buying opportunity, especially for stocks. But uh, I think in the short run here, you've just got to be careful that um, – you know, the, the volatility bleeds into the eggs further, and, and we get another sharp move down in the mid-370s. I think we are supported here, and uh, by proof of that, I'll look at the March contract that isn't trading right now. Uh, March is the highest contract on the board. Uh, March is trading 384 into the close, uh, more expensive than the new crop December. So that's an interesting dynamic. We really don't see that happen very much unless we've had weather problems like in the last few summers. Exactly. And then we look at the spread across those other ones. Again, this should try to keep an attractive cash market in the near term, but trying to carry uh, or to look for that carrying stuff really is negligent in the market right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really beneficial for the producer who holds bushels in the bin. I mean, the carry being flat, like, this, that's a good sign. I mean, that's what you want. You're not paying much for storage. Um, 
you know, but my thought would be you want to move it while while it's like this because when it reverses, specifically probably at the end of April, with if we don't get some sort of you know weather move or planet acreage move, I, I think you're looking at, at April contracts probably expiring just like the, uh, or I'm sorry, May contracts expiring just like the March did where we went down to those low 360s. So um, I'd sell it early here, maybe the next three weeks. If you get a bump into those mid 380s, I think you got to move it and. Calls are really cheap, really, really cheap, especially stuff into the late summer. Uh, I think you can buy some cheap ball there. And he said, if you get a U.S. weather problem, we'll rally. Again, John Payne, Daniel Zag Marketing. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. And that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcast at krvn.com. Brought to you by Davini Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.